Welcome to Radius. Always fun being in Saluda. I get to say welcome to Radius a lot of different spots. Last week I was in uh, at Radius White Knoll and I got to give them a little bit of news. They're the only ones that know, so let me give you a little bit and then we'll pray over it. Um, we uh, met with a couple last week named, they're named Scott and Jess Schufert. Scott played football at Furman. He's in his about 35. His wife played softball at Furman. They've been working for FCA for about 10 years. And so Scott and Jess are moving to downtown Columbia to plant Radius downtown. Which is, so we're pretty excited about that. They'll, they'll come in in the summer, so that'll be a, another Radius church, and it'll start a lot like you guys did with 20 people in a living room or 10 people or five people, whatever it might be. And, and then we anticipate that it'll grow and it'll give us the opportunity, us as a church, all of us together to start uh, caring for college students. So we're looking for a spot for them. So if you guys would pray, pray with me, who knows whether they'll be in a school or we, you never know. They might be in a bank. You, you never know where the Lord might, might have a, a radius church, but we're really excited to see another one start. It's kind of what we do. If you're new at radius, one of the things that we dream about is, is planting seeds in other communities and being responsible for all the folks around that, that place. So let me pray for Scott and Jess, and then we'll jump into God's word. Lord, uh, known Scott and Jess for a little while now and uh, excited about them being willing to come down and really cut a new road uh, for you. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, they got four little kids, pray that as they uh, sell their house and pack up their stuff and really act like missionaries and come to downtown Columbia and start to uh, make friends and Get to know people downtown, particularly students. We pray your favor on them, Lord. We uh, we, we want uh, some Carolina kids to come to Christ. We want them to meet you for the first time. We want some that know you to grow deeper and be better disciples of you, Jesus. So we, we pray for that. Lord, we need a place to meet. We've looked at a couple places, and I don't know how that will work out, but we, we trust that you'll provide as you have many times in the past. We, uh, we celebrate, Lord, that you would... Uh, you would honor us and allow us to continue to reach other parts of, of the Midlands. We won't be faithful to that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in this uh, story of Joseph. Uh, if you know your Bible pretty well, then you know Joseph's at the beginning. He's in, in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. And uh, we've spent a significant amount of time. I got a ton of verses to go through today. So if I read really fast, forgive me, but I'm, we're going to try to cover a whole chapter. And there's 57 verses. I won't read all of them, but I, I'd love for you to hear this story. But first, I thought I'd tell you about uh, Thursday ago, I, I made a little trip up to see my dad. My dad seventy turned 78, so I want to take him out for lunch. I don't know. My dad doesn't care. He doesn't. I think. I don't know. I know my mama cares. If I miss her birthday, it is. He's not good. Like, I don't get spoken to for a while. Is that how it works? My dad, I'm not sure he knows it's his birthday. So you could call him and go, hey, let's go to lunch on Thursday. And he's like, well, what's going on? I'm like, dad, it's your birthday. Let me take you to lunch. So I drove up. I called him about halfway. And I go, dad, what's the weather like up there? This was the day a couple weeks ago. I don't know how it was in Saluda, but in Columbia and where my dad lives in Anderson, it was, it was bad. I, I called him. I go, what's the weather like? Are you still good with me coming up? He goes, rain a little bit. 
just rain a little bit. We'll be good. So I, I pull up. I start getting close to Anderson and literally all the ditches are full of water. You know, when it's raining hard and, and there's like new streams in the grass, there's new streams in the grass coming down to the ditches. I turn on the radio and it says there's a tornado on the southeast side of Anderson where my father lives. And my dad's is like, oh, well, let's, let's go eat. It's no big deal. So I pull into the house and pick him up. We go eat a burrito together uh, for his birthday. And the whole time he's totally, he's totally calm. No big deal. My sister and my mother, they're all on us for going out in the weather. It just like, just didn't fall far from the tree. It was, it was fun being with my dad. And I'm starting to realize the older you get, you understand I'm acting like my dad, like I'm doing the same stuff. It's weird. One of the strange parts on this particular lunch was I'm sitting with my dad and I'm 52 years old. So I'm, I'm starting to get on the older side, right? And I was telling stories and I really just wanted him to be proud of me. And uh, the more friends I have, whether they have a great dad or a dad they've never seen, um, there's this weird thing inside of us, particularly us men, where I just want my dad to be proud. And so you can't like, you can't like, so I talk about my kids. You can't like talk about yourself, but like there's this weird thing sitting at a burrito, a bar burritos in Anderson, sitting across the table where I'm talking to my father, which I mean, we're not big talkers. And, and I got six kids in my own. I'm paying a mortgage down the road here, but that it felt like home because, because he was there. My father was there. I have friends whose dads are in prison and they, they talk about some of those same feelings. Sometimes there's tons of pain right in that moment. But that pain comes from just, just that home not being quite as functional as you wish it was. It's, it's deep and it's embedded and it's good a lot of times and sometimes it's not. And as you read this story out of Genesis, if you don't feel that, then you're not getting the story. Right? We've been talking about this, this guy named Joseph. And he's away from his father, and he's away from his family. If you come from a jacked-up family, guess what? So did Joseph. Matter of fact, unless your jacked-up family sold you into slavery, they may not be as jacked-up as his. His dad had done a variety of just knuckleheaded stuff, and uh, you just feel the pain in the young man. This passage that we'll read today, it starts off just with a simple verse. Two full years later, this is chapter 41 of Genesis Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. So when it says two full years later, you understand that the writer's capturing how long Joseph has been. Now he's in prison, but prior to that, he was a slave. At 17, he got sold into slavery. Any 17-year-olds in this room? 17, 18, willing to stand up? So that is a big ask when you're 17 or 18, right? So I got none. So I'm assuming... I, Anybody, uh, anybody in high school willing to stand up? Because I'm looking at y'all. Y'all in high school. Somebody got to stand up. I got like two of you stand up. Uh, too much pressure. Too much. All right, anybody. There you go. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Just one brave soul in the room. Thank you. Right, you want to stay standing up though? I promise I won't make you do nothing. All right. Just stay in there and smile. That's, that's perfect. Anybody in the room 28 to 30? 28 to 30. All right. All right so 28 year olds. Uh, yeah, and I saw a couple people stand up. I know y'all ain't 28. No. Perfect. All right. So. So here's the deal. Joseph got sold by his brothers right here, and the story picks him back up right over here. 
So sometimes you hear 17 to 28. It don't sound like that long, but you're talking about like we're in school. We're still trying to figure out life. And we're still trying to figure out life. Ain't we? It's, it's, it just don't go away. But there's, there's this major amount of time. Passed. Thank you, guys. Sit down. I won't put you on the spot anymore. You feel that in the passage. There's this major passing of time. When uh, the last chapter ended, Joseph was 28. This chapter starts up. We'll see in a minute that he's 30 years old. He's been in prison or enslaved for 13 years now. You talk about missing home. He's got deep pain. And yet, as Trey just said, he, he seems to be able to continue to connect and follow God despite all the pain. Two, four years later, Pharaoh dreamed. If you haven't been with us much and you know how Genesis works, there's this uh, variety of dreams. Uh, Joseph's dad had a dream. You remember Jacob? Jacob, his father, had this dream. He dreamed uh, of this of this ladder going from earth to heaven and, and uh, the angels going up and down this ladder from earth to heaven. And he, he was promised in that vision from God that he, his children be as much, many as the dust of, of the earth. And so then Joseph has dreams. I don't know if you remember the first dream. He dreamed about these, uh, about the grain being gathered up. Each of his brothers gathered up a big bunch of grain. And at the end, when, when all the grain got together, all of their bushels bow down to his. Never good. I mean, if you're 17, just just for information, you don't tell your older brothers you're going to bow down to you one day. Like, like you can have the dream. You just don't tell nobody. Right? You hold that to yourself. Then he has another dream and he dreams that the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to him. And guess who the sun and the moon was? His dad, Jacob, his mom, Rachel, and, and his 11 brothers. He had this dream that they would all bow down to him one day at 17. And it didn't make his older brothers love him that much. And that's not real complicated, is it? Matter of fact, they hated him. It's interesting that Jacob was offended by the dream. His dad was offended by the dream. But then it says in the passage that Jacob, he kept that dream in the back of his mind. Wondering what it meant. Probably because he'd had dreams in the past. If you're with us a couple weeks ago, you, we saw uh, we saw Joseph in jail. He interprets a dream for for two guys in prison, a cupbearer and a baker, and the dreams came exactly true as he interpreted them. And then we come to chapter 41, and Pharaoh, the greatest in the land, has a dream. For us, it'd be the president of the United States. Has a dream. Wakes up in the night, and he can't figure it out. He's got all the power that he could possibly want. But he's overwhelmed by this dream. Let me read it to you. In his dream, Pharaoh, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up from the river and begin grazing in the marshy grass. And then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile. And these were scrawny and thin. I'm offended by that. People called me scrawny growing up and I always hurt my feelings. But anyway, they were scrawny and thin. And these cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. And the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. You just can imagine being asleep, having somewhat of a nightmare. I don't know that it'd be real pleasant to watch seven skinny cows eat seven fat cows, but that's what he just dreamed. He woke up, he pops up out of bed, and then he falls back asleep. He fell back asleep again and had a second dream. And this time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And seven more heads of grain appeared, but they were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And Pharaoh woke up again 
and realized that it was a dream. You got the dream? Fat cows, skinny cows, fat grain, skinny grain, skinny wins again. All right, baby. I'm just kidding. No, there's like, there's got to be some interpretation to this. The next morning, Pharaoh was disturbed by the dreams. And so he called the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told him the dreams, no one, not one of them could tell him what they meant. So what's a magician? Like, is that like David Copperfield or? Somebody my age, Harry Houdini, like they put him in chains and put him in the water. And they come, no, that's not what a magician is back in, back in these days when the word magician and wise men, you'd be thinking about the professors at Harvard or MIT or some guy like Steve Jobs. You, you'd be getting the best and the brightest people in the world together. Pharaoh had the best and the brightest and he presents this dream to them and they got no idea what it means. It's just interesting, the timing of God in this whole process. They're trying to figure it out. And I don't know if you remember when Joseph was in jail, he interpreted a dream for this cupbearer baker. And here's what he said. He said, uh, interpreting dreams is God's business. Interesting. We probably ought to be careful with our dreams. Interpreting dreams is God's business. And so Pharaoh goes on a search to find somebody who can interpret his dream. Verse 9 starts really cool. I don't know about this word means anything to you, but in my life, finally is a great word. Finally. Finally, I paid off my car. Anybody? Right? When you pay, that's that's a wonderful feeling. When you finally get, finally I'm done with high school for some of y'all in the room. And then you wish you could go back. I hate to tell you this, but you you wish you were still there. But there's this finally, there's this part of completion. So when you read the passage, it says, finally, the king's cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my Pharaoh. I, I don't know if you remember this, but, but Joseph interpreted the cupbearer's dream in prison. And he told the cupbearer, hey, don't forget about me when you get out of here. But the cupbearer did. And two years later, he remembered. Some time ago, you were angry with, he, he speaks to Pharaoh and he says, some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me and you imprisoned us. In the palace in the, uh, uh, of the captain of the guard. And one night the chief baker and I each had a dream. And each dream had its own meaning. And there was a young Hebrew man with us in prison. Who was a slave of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams. And he told us what our dreams meant. I love this part. And everything happened just as you predicted. I don't know if you, weren't, if you haven't read this. You'll have to go back and read. He says, I was restored to my position as a cupbearer. Which is exactly what Joseph told him would happen. And the chief baker was ex- executed and paled on a pole. I wonder if he mumbled when he said that. And the chief, and the baker, you remember, you remember what you did to the, what you did to the baker, right? Like and there's this, there's this conversation going on between the cupbearer and Pharaoh, and he's reminding them of Joseph. What did he call Joseph? Anybody pick it up when I just read it? What did he call Joseph? He called him Hebrew. If, if you're a minority in the United States of America, a lot of times when people refer to you, they refer, refer to your ethnicity or your race, right? We'll say my black friend or my Hispanic friend or my Asian friend. We'll say any of those because in the United States, uh, white folks are in the majority. And so always there's this reference to – in Saluda where it's, it's pretty, pretty split, third, 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 that might be a regular reference to one another. You refer to one another by race. That'd be pretty normal. In this particular case, I want you to feel this a little bit. He's, he's referenced as a Hebrew. Who's writing the book of Genesis? Anybody under 15 tell me who's writing the book of Genesis? Moses. All right. Moses. Were you under 15? 
Who said, huh? I already know you're 2830. All right, anyway. So Moses is writing this book, and Moses is, what's his ethnicity? What, what, what race is Moses? He's Hebrew. He's a Hebrew too. And where did Moses grow up? When he was a boy, to the age of 40. He grew up in Egypt. He grew up in Pharaoh's house to the age of 40. His mom was a Hebrew and his mom would come to Pharaoh's house and feed him and teach him. And I can imagine her teaching him that he's a Hebrew in the midst of this Egyptian culture. And, and he, I mean, when you think about him writing this book of Genesis and grabbing the story of Joseph, this is probably his favorite story of all time because I bet his mama told it to him while he's in the Egyptian's home telling him about his great, 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 great ancestor. Named Joseph, who, who went along for the same ride. Pretty, pretty cool connection between the two. So when Joseph is writing this thing down in Genesis, and he writes the word Hebrew, it's got more meaning than just anybody writing it. It's, it's a great month in the United States of America. We call this Black History Month. It's, it's a great month where, as a minority, we actually, because history is primarily written in the United States by white folks, so oftentimes, if you're a minority, you get lost in history. It's this great reminder in this month to remember what's been done by African Americans for the good of this nation. It's, it's, it's a powerful statement by our nation to block out a month. This uh, is kind of what Moses is doing here. He's writing the story in the middle of this Egyptian nation, and he's reminding everybody Joseph's a Hebrew. So he's a little bit alone. And there's some difficulties that go with that. Verse 14 reads like this. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, hearing that he could interpret dreams. And he was quickly brought from prison. And after that, he shaved and changed his clothes. He went in and stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. Uh, if, if you were an Egyptian back in the day, if you're bald or balding, you would be advantaged because everybody was not only shaved on their face, they'd shave their head clean. Everybody was clean. So if you were going to come in before Pharaoh, they're going to clean Joseph up, give him a bath. I imagine he stunk. He's been in prison, right? I imagine he got hair all over the place because he's been in prison. So they shave him up and they walk him in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh right out of prison comes this 30 year old. In front of the most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh goes, hey, I had a dream. <laughs> no pressure, right? Like, like you, got to, you got to know who you are in that moment. He comes in. Pharaoh says, I had a dream last night. And no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about the dream, you can interpret it. There's this uh, pretty amazing quote. It's by a guy named uh, Tozer. He's a great American uh, pastor who wrote a lot in the early part of the, of the last century. And he, he says this, uh, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Think about that. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You're talking about a 30-year-old Hebrew Walking in before the greatest man of the land who has been, who has suffered for 13 years away from his family. And here's the, 
Here's the king of the land saying, I heard you could interpret this dream. And you'll feel this as the passage goes on. Joseph never goes like this. He never goes, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm the man. You're right. You got the right guy. Instead, he just, he just deflects any attention on him and he points it to God. Look what he says. He says, it is beyond my power to do this. What a great line. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So it's this moment where he's being recognized. And all Pharaoh knows is what great men look like. Instead of taking on great man status, Joseph goes, it's beyond my power to do this. I can't do it. But, but God can. And God will. It's, it's a New American Standard says, it's not in me. Joseph goes, it's not in me. In a culture that constantly wants to holler out our name. Joseph's just not, not willing to do that. And so then Pharaoh tells him the dream. What was the dream? Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven fat pieces of grain, which I don't even know what that looks like, and, and, and seven skinny pieces of grain. And, and that's the dream. And, and the skinny cows and the skinny grain eat the healthy cows and grain. Here's Joseph 30 here in this dream. Can you imagine the pressure? And you're supposed to be able to interpret it for the greatest man in the world. And, and then Joseph has this amazing response. He responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both re- represent seven years of prosperity. If you're an American, you know our American history, 1920s, right? The roaring 20s, 100 years ago. It was hopping in our country. We call it, it was a time of great wealth. He said there's going to be seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows uh, came uh, up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. 1930. Right? The Great Depression. We know a little bit about it in our country. Man, when there was a famine, it wasn't just about eating less. It wasn't just about not being able to go get another car. It was about dying. So in ancient days, if there was a famine, if there was one for seven years, people were just going to die left and right. And uh, the people of Egypt were uh, on, on a path toward sudden death by the end of that seven-year period. So Joseph interprets the dream. He puts it right there in front of the graves. I think it's interesting uh, if, if you, uh, we got football coach in here. We got a bunch of coaches in the room. That we're always working on people's core. We're trying to get them strong all the way up through here with your football. Body. It doesn't matter. We want them to have core strength. And there is there's something to the followers of God that have core strength. That because there's been so much time worked in with God, and you can feel that with Joseph. He's under pressure. I don't know about you, but I'd be tempted to tell Pharaoh that everything's going to be good, right, to cover my butt. Instead, because of his core strength, because of his connection to God, he accurately represents what God says about the dream. This is what it means, seven and seven. And then he gives this uh, uh, solution. He actually, like a, some of you guys in business, he, he's, he's just this really wise business. He, he gives the interpretation and then he gives the solution. I'll read it to you. This will happen just as I've described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. I love that he says, God, God, God. He says God five times. 
Not Joseph said, not Joseph said, God, 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 God. This is what God said. But afterward, there'll be seven years of famine, so great prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land, verse 31. This famine will be so severe that every memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent, wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Again, you, you tempted guys in the room, I'm tempted to go, hey, how about me? You need to get an intelligent, wise man, get a good businessman to run this thing. You need just one guy to pull together a plan and run it. But you just don't feel any of that in this. And then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them uh, collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced for years and just ahead of it, bring it to Pharaoh's storehouse. This is Social Security in the United States. Don't you wish Joseph was running Social Security because he seemed to be really effective. He's going to take 20% of all the wage earners, which would all be in, uh, would be in crops, and he's going to store it for the seven years when there's famine. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh. And I want you to catch this line. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone like this man? Pretty cool statement, but check, check out the end of it. Anyone like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. But it seems to all come from this one simple word, obviously filled with the spirit of God. Oh, that's, that's kind of what we dream about at Radius Church. Always has been. Never wanted to play church. We wanted to be a group of people obviously filled with the spirit of God. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I took my son to this recent Star Wars. We thought we were going to see 1917, and it wasn't open yet. We went in. We had to watch Star Wars. Some of y'all big fans, I'm sorry. I, I don't understand it, right? Like, I got like 10% of it. I just watched it for the plot. And there's, there, I know in the, I've seen, I saw the first Star Wars when it came out. That tells you how old I am, and this is the, the only two I've ever seen. The first one and the one that just came out. And I saw it by accident. I'm sorry. I know it's offended some of y'all deeply. But I know there's a couple forces <laughs> because they talk about it. May the force be with you. That's like the only line I know of the whole movie, right? That ain't this, right? Like, like Joseph doesn't have this force with him. It, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have just a force with him. It makes for good movies, but the Bible actually teaches that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That ain't, that's not a force. That's the person of God means the person of God indwells you. That's nuts. There's this huge responsibility for that. So there's this constant battle raging, at least inside of me, I don't know about you, where the person of God pushes against my flesh, who I used to be. Galatians 5 says that that battle is just ongoing. And so when you see this with Joseph, it's, it's this pretty cool Statement that Pharaoh, somebody who doesn't know God, recognizes that God is inside of Joseph. Cool for somebody to say that on a job, isn't it? Be cool for somebody to say that at the school. It's kind of what we are hoping Radius will be. We never want to play church. We want to be the church. 
In order to be the church, we have to lean on the Holy Spirit which indwells us. That keeps us from a lot of things that the church in the South does. The church in the South chatters a lot. So when we chatter, we're cheer, cheer, chatter. And if you don't know, I'm, there's a worse word. It's called gossip. And that's just a part of who we are. You wonder, is the Spirit of God within us? Or is the Spirit of God inside of us losing this battle over and over? Because we like to talk, right? So there's this opportunity, man. In a smaller town like Saluda, there's this opportunity to yield to the Holy Spirit. And when you yield on that particular subject, it makes you look different. And everybody goes, man, they just don't participate in some of the conversations everybody else participates in. So they must be filled with the Spirit of God. They look different. One of the things we like to talk about here is generosity. It's right in our mission statement. And it just looks different than the world when people are generous. It's one of the really fun things that you guys participate. Trey's constantly telling me of stories. You guys actively using your hands and feet or pulling out your wallets to take care of needs in this community. That makes you look different, but it also may indicate that you're filled with the spirit of God. And that eventually impacts your radius. It's beautiful. Last couple, little bits. I told you it's it's a a ton of verses. Try not to read every one of them, but they're pretty good. He says, uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, and I want you to kind of think about these. You'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. This dude was just in prison a minute ago. Only I sitting on my throne will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And Pharaoh removed his signet ring. It means when you go down to the gas station, you want some gas in the car, you just go like that. It's paid for. He removed his signet ring and, and he placed it on J- Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and he hung a gold chain around his neck. I feel like I need a wrap right now. Like you got the chain and, and the right clothes on. He, he's, he's dressed all of a sudden. He had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second in command. And whenever Joseph, wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. What you talking about? Uh, Ryan Maloney, who's at uh, Radius Rocky Creek, he's reading this. And he goes, you know what I'll do? I'll drive right by Potiphar's house. I hope his wife is out on the porch. Pull my chariot up in her yard and say, how you like me now? <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think Joseph did that, but Ryan Maloney would have, just so you know. And, and you know that too, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, so Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without his, your approval. Ooh. Has our boy made it now? I mean, a minute ago he was in prison. Before that he was a slave. Before that he was in the pit that his brothers threw him in. And now he's the prime minister of all of Egypt. Verse 45, and Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name. Zaphonath Peniel, I'll try. And he also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath, which is a whole lot easier. She was the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. I'm glad I read about that before I would have called it On. <laughs> but the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. And he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As he made it. Feels like it. I, I listened to uh, uh, a pastor that I really like. His name's Vody Bakum. If you want to podcast him sometime, he's a African American pastor from uh, Texas. He's now living uh, overseas, 
He's preaching on this passage. And he gets to the end of that and he goes, has he made it? And then he looks at everybody and he says, nah, he's still a slave. I'm like, what you mean he's still a slave? He goes, he's got Pharaoh's ring on his finger. He's got Pharaoh's robe on his back. He's got Pharaoh's chain around his neck. He's riding around in Pharaoh's chariot. He, he's married to an Egyptian lady that he was forced to marry. He, his name has been changed by force. And he's making money for another man on his land. Like he's just a promoted slave. I ain't never thought about that before. I always thought when I read this passage, he's made it. And, and what Bodie says is the temptation for Americans is when you got cash, when you have influence or power, we assume we made it. But the more you read this passage over and over, you'll, you'll, you'll figure out Joseph doesn't think he's made it. He's responsible. He goes to work. He's been put in this spot. He uses his faith and his skills to go to work. But he ain't made it. And just as I close, I want us to watch Joseph just in a couple moments of his life. And, I, and I'll quit. The scripture says, as predicted, seven years, the land produced a bumper crops. And during those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored up the grain surrounding uh, fields and in the cities and he piled up huge amounts of grain like sand of the seashore finally he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure I, I just want you to understand he ain't making money off this he's serving his boss and the people and his God so he's actually exercising faith talk about some faith you're going to take 20% of all the prophets, of all the people in anticipation of a famine in seven years, you better be sure, right? He was sure. He's using his skill, his administrative skill to be able to pull all this together for another man in another land. It says in verse uh, 50, uh, you know, I just want us to stew on these couple verses. During this time, before the first of the famine year, so this being the 1920s, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. I really believe Moses writes that again because he wants you to feel it. That Joseph is in Egypt. He's carrying another name. He's married to an Egyptian woman whose dad was a priest to a false god, the sun god. And Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said... God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Makes little tear bumps come up on me. Joseph finally gets a chance to make a real decision. And what's he do? Names his kid Manasseh. Hebrew name. Couldn't choose his wife. Couldn't choose his job. But he stuck with one lady. He was, he was, a one wife man, unlike his father or his great grandfather. And then when they had a child, he celebrated by naming him a Hebrew name. Is that significant to you? <laughs> he hadn't forgot where he came from. He hadn't forgot the God of his father. He names his son Manasseh. I named my son Isaiah. I really want to name my oldest son Dominique because 
I'm a, we're a basketball family. So Dominique was my favorite player in the NBA. My wife said, no, we ain't naming our kid Dominique. We ain't doing that for one. He'll never jump that high, right? Like, like, like no Dominique. And so the, the so we worked our way back to Isaiah and Isaiah obviously is the first prophet in the old Testament, or he's the first in, 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 chronolo- in order, not chronological order. And, and she was like, let's name him Isaiah. And then you get like, you know, like we get the great prophet, of the old Testament, Isaiah Thomas. I don't know if y'all, some of y'all too young. Y'all know, know who that was. He was on the NBA thing last night. Isaiah Thomas. We get a little bit of both worlds. Cause I, that was kind of who I was our culture. Like we want our kids to follow Jesus. And this is my 12th year of varsity basketball in a row. Like, like that's what the Reeves do. Right. So the name meant something in this case, it means even more. Here's a Hebrew in the lands of, of the Egyptian. Pharaoh has forced him to have a name change, but he gets to choose his son's name. He's going to name a Hebrew name. He's going to make a stance. Oftentimes preacher tells you what names in the Bible mean. And sometimes it goes right over our heads. And sometimes I think we really force it. But in this case, the text, the Bible tells us what Manasseh means. I want you to catch it. It's going to hurt a little bit. Let me find a spot. It says, uh, uh, God has made me forget all my troubles in everyone in my family, in, in my father's family, Manasseh. It's really close to the Hebrew word to forget, Manasseh. My brothers, they hated me and threw me in a pit, Manasseh. Bodibakum says, uh, his personal definition of Manasseh is, I let that stuff go. My brothers threw me in a pit, Manasseh. I let that stuff go. My dad has been passive. He hasn't even come to look for me. He, he doesn't even know the whole story at this point, right? Manasseh. I let that stuff go. Some of you in this room have great pains that have been brought upon you. Maybe you uh, have no dad, at least not one that participates with you. And I'd encourage you this morning to say Manasseh. I let that stuff go. Maybe you got an alcoholic mom and she keeps on breaking your heart. Manasseh. I let that stuff go. That's not that easy now. Sometimes letting that stuff go means you talk to somebody. Sometimes that means you go to a counselor and get a counselor to help you work through letting that stuff go. But this, this mage, like you're watching a man who has walked through God through great suffering. And here he is. He, he's kind of got a lot now, but he's working through his heart and he's naming his children as such. And he's saying Manasseh to all that suffering. I let that stuff go. Some of us are defined by our past. It owns us. Whether we brought it on ourselves or whether somebody else brought it on us. The story of the scripture is the redemption of Jesus Christ. We put bread and juice out every week to remind us of the redemption of Jesus Christ. So that based on the body, broken body of Jesus and the blood he spilled, we can get together on Sunday and say, Manasseh, I let that stuff go. It doesn't have to own us. It doesn't have to predict our future. There's this opportunity, and here's a man living it out, coming from a jacked-up family, changing his history, setting a new course for his children, naming them Hebrew names, and then name them, giving them these names of significance. He's not 
taking his past and excusing his sin. And it's deep. And that's hard. But it's the thing that you do in community. It's wide as a radius. Saluda. Because we believe that in order to let stuff go, oftentimes we've got to do that together because it's hard. He has another son and names him Ephraim. Did you check out the name? Joseph named his son, second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Fruitful. That's what Ephraim means. Fruitful. Second son, he's, I don't know if he's in there for the birth these days. We got to be in there for the birth. Joseph, when he sees the child, he names him Ephraim and says, I'm fruitful. Here's two of them. I got two sons in the middle of Egypt where all of my grief has been. The Bible uses the word affliction in other translations. In the midst of all of that, God has made him fruitful. I read one writer, he said, God he asked the question, has God Ephraimed you? Has he made you fruitful? <laughs> what a great question. Clearly, Joseph doesn't think he made it. Because with all the influence and power that he has, he's still locked in on the fact that he's not in the promised land. But he's celebrating in spite of it, God's made him fruitful. At Radius, we... We know that some people in this room right here today are far off from God, had never met God. And we love that. So glad you're here. You know a little bit about church maybe, but you just don't know God. You're far off and your life shows it. I'm glad you're here. We're hoping over the course of time you'll believe. Recognize some people, especially in the South, are fans. Been going to church most of your life, come a couple times a month. You should check it out. Like you kind of fans of church, and we're really glad you're here. It's like like you, you, you're starting to really like this place. And then, then oftentimes you move to being a friend. Like, this is kind of my place. These, these are my people. And the next thing you know, you're faithful. Like you're really invested in, in the church. But our hope always has been that we would be fruitful together. Faithful, yeah, show up and, and work hard, but eventually we're hoping that we would, the fruits of the Spirit would start showing in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I'm missing one, self-control. People start seeing those fruits in our life, and then eventually some people in our radius would start changing because we're fruitful. Here's a man in a foreign land being fruitful, and I'll be straight with you. You may not know this. We're all Americans. I'm glad to be an American. Absolutely glad to be American, but I belong to another land. I'm heading there. I don't know when. It might be on my drive back to my home on this planet. This might be my last day, and I'm going to another land. I have another place, and I'm looking forward to that other place. And I want to be fruitful in this land. I want God to Ephraim me, to make me fruitful. Read to this last line, and we'll be done. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end, and then seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. And famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well, and when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. The people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. 
because the famine was severe throughout the land. Cannot help but think about Jesus when I read those verses. God sent Joseph, young Hebrew boy, to Egypt. Caused him to suffer for 13 years at a minimum. He placed him second in command in all the kingdom. Why? To save the world. Joseph saved the world. God put him in a spot, a simple man to save the world. He literally stored up enough food through the knowledge that God had given him to save the world. And we get here together on on Sundays because we recognize that Jesus came to earth as a man, Philippians chapter 2, and he humbled himself, says the passage. And then he humbled himself not only by becoming a man, but he humbled himself to the point of being sacrificed on the cross for all humanity so that there would be hope in a starving world. A world that would starve to death in its sin and deserves eternal hell. Has been redeemed by the living God through his son Jesus, the Savior. When we take bread and juice on Sundays, we keep doing it over and over. We don't get bored with it because that is a representation of our salvation. Because he saved us. Praise God. Let's pray. Jesus, I... So limited in what I know. But Holy Spirit, I know you are active in this room. I know just when I said that simple phrase about Manasseh. And that that little phrase I heard, I let that stuff go. That lots of people in this room went back to a story. Either something they did or something that's been done to them and they cannot let it go. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would work them to a point of freedom that you, God, would uh, bring them to repentance if they need to repent, that you give them the courage to talk to somebody if they uh, need to be healed, that today would be a day of movement and not just another day where something touches their heart and they run away from it. Lord, there's a bunch of us been going to church for a long time. Some of us know this story inside and out. And yet, if we were real honest, we're not sure if we're being fruitful. Pray, Holy Spirit, as we, uh, as we sing a couple songs, you'd meet us as we sing the songs. Even as Trey spoke about being met in the first couple songs, Lord, and remind us who you are and help us turn ourselves back to you. Make us fruitful, Lord, to your glory. I trust you uh, as we worship now and we trust you with the weakness to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.